about the beginning as we kicked this series off. Kind of looked at Genesis, where, uh, where God kind of establishes family and establishes the idea that, that we really do need each other and there's something powerful, something spiritual about this idea of, of family and that family is kind of the foundation of all the rest of the things that we do, uh, even so much that we kind of talk here about being family, you know, friends who are like family, this, this central foundational uh, kind of thing that is, that is family together. Uh, and so we, we love family, amen? Yeah, say amen whether you like, love your family or not, because that's an, an important kind of thing. So, um, so before we jump into the particulars uh, today, uh, I, I want us to come to our, our memory verse. We've been doing these memory verses, uh, and I know it kind of feels like Sunday school, but, but that's okay. It, it's really important to kind of build God's Word into our life, amen? Okay, so uh, our memory verse uh, for this series, uh, oops, I think I went too far. Evidently not. <laughs> I must have missed it in the slides. Um, let's jump ahead to that. Um, so um, the memory verse is, is this. I'm going to read it to you. It says, follow God's example as dearly loved children. Say that. And walk in the way of love. Say that. I just love that. The way of love. Say the way of love. This is kind of better because I can kind of make you go over the parts I want to emphasize. So, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right. Um, so, let's, let me back up on this. I think, um, I think my slides are... Um, are there's a whole section here, so I'm going to back up one, and if we can maybe stop that and then hold it, because this is, is, is later. Um, so let's think about marriage uh, for a little bit, and I hope that's a pleasant memory and not a painful uh, memory as we think about that, uh, but when we think about marriage today, I think in some ways it's more difficult uh, than, it, than it was, say, 100 years or 150 years ago uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, I think one of them is that, you know, 150 years ago, there were clearly defined roles for men and for women, right? You know, when you got married, you automatically knew who was going to take the trash out. He was, right? You know, that's just his job. And you knew who was going to cook for the most part. She was going to cook. And, and there was kind of a pattern that your parents had followed and your grandparents had followed and your great-grandparents and back and back and back and back. And so there wasn't a sense in which you had to negotiate or think about some of those kinds of pieces of it. You just, you just had, had that. It was just always a part of it. <clears throat> and in some sense, honestly, there were lower expectations about marriage than there are today. People did not believe that their spouse was supposed to satisfy all of their needs, right? You know, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right off the bat, I'm going to be a little critical about some of the images we see about marriage in media today. But, I mean, some of the things you see about marriage is that, you know, if you marry the right person, every emotional need you ever had will be satisfied in them. Yeah, so you go, yeah, rolling your eyes. You know, like, right. You're married for about a minute. You know, that's, not, that's just not true. In fact, one of the things I say to young couples all the time is uh, every guy needs a, a guy that's their friend and every woman needs a woman that's their friend because men and women do not see the world the same way, amen? 
okay? And, and you need someone that's kind of, you can share and you can talk and, and all that. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. But it, but it is the case that, you know, we just, there's, there's different expectations today about marriage in, in so many ways. Um, and, and, and honestly, in some ways, you know, 100, 150 years ago, uh, a, a lot of marriages were business arrangements, you know? And we wouldn't even think about that today, but I am actually the product of a business arrangement. My grandmother married for love the first time. And she had three kids, right, right, bang, 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 and then he passed away. And it was the 1920s, and there wasn't really any way for her to support herself in, in all of that. Uh, and, and so uh, she had the gift of being a very beautiful young woman, uh, but she had three kids, uh, and she was looking for support. And she ran into my grandfather, who was much older than her uh, and ugly, and... Uh, Oh, for the days when you could get a hot babe by, you know, having money, you know. And so he had a really good job. He worked for the railroad. He was a conductor on the railroad. But uh, none of his brothers had, had any sons. Uh, and he had never been married. And so he didn't have any sons. And he really wanted to continue on the line and to have some sons, right? And so uh, beauty and money came together. And that led to my dad. And that led to me. And so I'm not entirely against business arrangements in marriage, okay? Because uh, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. But that's a very different kind of marriage than the expectations we have today. We just have high expectations. And so in some ways it's harder, but also today when we talk more about marrying for love, in some ways that can be much more satisfying than a business arrangement. And I, I love my grandma. I never met my grandfather. He passed away when my dad was just 11 years old. And, and I love her, but I don't know that she ever loved my grandfather. It was just, it, was, it worked, and it, it was a good arrangement for them, and everybody was happy, and so it, it worked. Uh, but there's something about when you truly love each other that can create a much more satisfying relationship over time, although not always easy. Okay, you all should have said amen if you've been very, very long, okay? Not always easy. Right. And unfortunately, we live in a time where I think romance and love get really confused in the messaging from the media. So, you know, you see all these commercials about the romance and the power of it. I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere. I mean, some of these commercials, if you buy the right car, you'll have a romantic life forever, you know? It's like, I've bought a lot of cars. It doesn't work like that, okay? You know? Or, or have you watched a perfume commercial? Oh my goodness, you know, if you wear the right perfume, you'll meet the right guy, and it'll all be wonderful. And that all falls in kind of what I call the Disney lie. And the Disney lie is this, and they lived happily ever after. Okay? That's just not the case. It turns out that marriage is hard work uh, for us. And so I want to, before we jump into the text, I want to kind of hit some things at a kind of a 30,000 foot level here. Uh, and if you're taking notes, uh, it's not up here, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, number one, wedding is the taking of sacred vows to love one other person the way Jesus loved you. You see that difference in the definition of love? Okay, a wedding is the, t and I had a great picture of a marriage up here, so hey, what can I say? A wedding, really good-looking people. Um, a wedding is the taking of sacred vows to love one other person the way Jesus loved you. 
And that, that's the essence of it is there's this vow to love this person for the rest of your life, okay? It doesn't say to like that person for the rest of your life because if you've been married long enough, there are going to be times in your marriage where the like is not there as strong as you would like it to be. Amen? Okay? I'm just, this is going to be real honest here. I've been married long enough that I can just be honest about this. But love is what gets you through all of that, right? So let me, let me give you the marriage vows. And something, uh, some of you who are younger, uh, when, when they come to me to get to marry them, they often want to make up their own vows. And, and I'm not against that at all. But I encourage them to kind of do their own vows and then to do the traditional vows. Because there's something powerful about the traditional vows. Every time I go to a wedding and I hear the traditional vows, I am reminded of the day that I stood in Ridgefield Church of the Nazarene and exchanged those vows with my wife. And I reaffirm those vows in that moment, right? And when we continue that tradition, there's great power in tradition, amen? Preached the whole series on this uh, a while back uh, and, and ritual, and this is a super important one. So let me give this to you. And for those of you who are married, I, I want you to recommit yourself to this every time you hear these, okay? So here it is. Um, I, name, take you, name, to be my husband, wife, and then hear this. To have and to hold from this day forward. That's a pretty good deal. I like that. Okay? For better, for worse. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and health. To love and to cherish. Not just love, but cherish. Until we are parted by death. There are very few things, I think, that pack so much into just a few words. Because I'm telling you, that's a big bite right there. And, and it's why we, you do it. You stand up, you do it in front of the church because become, we become witness of that. And we become partners in that we support you and we encourage you. And we, we want you to, 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 to live this out to the, to the very end. Let me say it again, okay? I take you to be my husband, wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. So built right into this is this idea that it's okay if you're in a spot where it's hard. It's okay if your relationship right now is strained. That, that happens, but we have these vows that keep us and bring us through all of this. So let me say this, and again, if you have this in your notes, the goal of Christian marriage is not to stay married, but that you love each other like Christ loves you to the very end. And the reason I say that is because if you love each other as Christ loves you, you'll stay married. You'll stay married. But simply gritting your teeth to the end, and when your spouse finally passes, going, whoa! I've never seen anybody actually do that, but a couple got pretty close. That, that's not the goal. The goal is to love, amen? Okay? So, uh, and, and then just kind of, it doesn't mean you'll be happy in every moment okay, through marriage, but there's something powerful in that. So, Here's what I want you to hear. Listen, your spouse married a deeply flawed partner. Your spouse married a deeply flawed partner. Yeah, yeah. And that means you're deeply flawed too, okay? So can we get this just up front with all of this? He was not a knight in shining armor and she is not a princess. If that comes as a surprise, I'm sorry. We're flawed, all of us. And over time, if you're married to somebody, you're going to bump into every single one of their flaws. In fact, you are going to become intimately acquainted with their flaws. 
And so it is that marriage requires humility and forgiveness and mercy in all that we do. So we want to look this morning uh, at Ephesians chapter 5, and I don't think we have that quite up. Do you have your Bibles? Um, And we want to talk about this idea of, of Christian marriage. I want to introduce you to a theological word. You ready for your theology lesson? Okay, the word is pricope. Say pricope. Pricope. Any of you know what that, I know at least one person knows what that means. Anybody else other than that one person and you know who you are, know what that word means? Oh, good. Pricope is an idea uh, we talk about in Scripture, and when we're exegeted, that means one coherent, complete thought. Okay? It's so like all of this goes together, and we need to hold it together. You can't just pull stuff out of it. You have to understand it in that, in that thought. Uh, and, and so just, you guys have heard this, but when you like read Greek texts, the original texts of the Bible, did you know that there are no periods in that? There's no paragraphs, there's no chapters, and depending on the ones, there's no division of the words. It's kind of all run together in some of them. And so a pericope is the idea of all of this belongs together. All of this is an important thought. And that becomes really important with the the text we're looking at this morning because so many people out there today, when they look at Ephesians 5, they want to start with verse 22. Anyone know what verse 22 is about? Women submitting, right? Okay. But they miss the part where it begins, where it says, submit to, okay, louder, submit to one another. And so right from the beginning, out of reverence for, for Christ, this whole thing is about mutual submission. Say, mutual submission. This is, this is the thesis statement, if you will, for the, for the rest of this section of, of the chapter. Uh, and, and really, for us, we all submit to God. Amen? Okay? And God doesn't submit to us. But all of our other relationships are built on this idea of, of mutual uh, submission uh, for us. Um, and so, um, here's what I, I know to be true. Okay, this is really not... Can you hit the next one? Uh, we'll just see what you get when you go up. Yeah, it's not playing nice. Let's go one more beyond that and see if it hits it. Clear teaching of Scripture is that husbands and wives are to practice mutual submission. Um, that, that's the next one. Okay, so maybe we're there. Maybe we're just in the wrong place. So the clear teaching of Scripture is, to, uh, is that husbands and wives are to practice mutual submission. This is at the heart of Christian marriage. Because we come in with this humility of having submitted to God, and he calls us to submit to, to one another. And, and the rest of this is about how do you do that? How do you decide who submits to one another? Uh, it, it's a description of how kind of it all, all works uh, through the rest of the passage. Uh, and so um, you can see that, that what we're about to talk about uh, is, is the idea of, of husbands and wives and how that works uh, together. Uh, and so you can see Paul. I don't, I don't know that this happened. This is just my overactive ADHD imagination. But I imagine Paul writing that first line of submit to one another, right? And then he goes, he goes, okay, now how am I going to flesh this out? He's going to like, okay, well, I'm going to tell the women what that looks like. And then he realizes he's single. And he was, we think, probably married early on because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. But at least at this stage in life, he's, he's, he's single. And, and I'm telling you, guys, and I don't mean to, you know, but it is really dangerous to tell your wife what to do, Okay. And Paul was married long enough to probably know that. And so you can see him going, what am I going to say? How am I going to, what am I going to do with this? And he's pondering, what do I tell the women? And all of a sudden it occurs to him that maybe he should just kind of restate in more detail what he already said about mutual submission. So 
Verse 22, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. So a couple of things to notice. Notice it says, guys, wives. Yeah. Not to be too rude here, but he's not talking to you. Okay? It doesn't say wives, you know, it doesn't say husbands, make sure your wives do this. Husbands, check up on this. Husbands, if your wives don't do this, it's simply addressing it to wives. And so frankly, what he says next is none of your business. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands. Notice it doesn't say to every man in creation. It says to your husband, right? As you would do to the Lord. So as, in the same way as you would do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife. Woohoo! Yeah, you know what the next line is, right? As Christ is head of the church. Uh oh, wait a minute. Okay. So they're kind of defining the words here. His body, of which he is the Savior. Okay. Christ is head of the church. We're to be head of our wives like Christ is the head of the church, of which he is the Savior. So, what does it mean to be a Savior? It means to potentially lay your life down, right? It means to, to set aside yours so that you can serve the best interest of the other. And how was Christ the Savior? We jump immediately to he died on the cross for us. Thanks be to God. Amen. But it wasn't just there. He laid his life down in all kinds of ways, dealing with those disciples. I mean, those would drive me crazy. And then he had to deal with all the religious leaders of the time that would come after him. And ultimately, when he went to the cross, all the things that happened to him. And so he laid his life down in all kinds of awful ways all of the time. So, just so we're clear, Savior doesn't, uh, doesn't, Savior doesn't have anything to do with being the boss. Okay? Can we get that, that clear here? Nothing to do with being the boss. Today, when we use the word head, we think of the boss, the head of the company, right? But that's not what's meant in Scripture. And just like Jesus defined love as sacrificial, they defined what it means to be the head in the text. So we don't get to change the definition of that. Then, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. So now he turns his attention uh, to, to the guys, uh, and, and he kind of gives us this part. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for you. So I can hear all you guys going, wait a minute. All they have to do is submit, and I have to submit to them too, but we have to love them? Yes, exactly right. Now keep in mind, there's a context, cultural context here in which women are borderline property, Okay. And so Paul is doing an interesting thing where he is seriously raising the, the place of women in the context of marriage and in the context of, of family. Now, in healthy marriages, I'm sure it kind of worked like that anyway, right? My dad was very traditional, and the whole women should submit, but he lived way above his theology, okay? My dad, uh, one time, my, my dad and I got talking about this, and, and he said, yeah, you know, women should submit to men. I said, Dad, tell me what that means. He said, well, if you ever get to the position where you can't come together and figure out a decision, the man makes the decision. I said to him, and he'd been married a long time. I was older by then. I said, Dad, did that ever happen in your marriage? He said, no, no, we always figured it out. You know? <laughs> he lived above his theology, right? He, lived, he understood. He got the concept in his heart, whether it was in his head or, or not. And so, uh, guys, we are called to love our wives just as Christ loved the, the church. So how did Christ love the church? And gave himself up for it. 
It's an important part of this. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he talked about love, this self-sacrificing love, self-emptying love is kind of the way Scripture talks about it sometimes, uh, that we, we are called to love our wives in that way. Uh, and there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Amen? Okay? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And so this is a picture of the bride. And that, that moment, and, and if you've been married, you understand that moment where, where you, you, you're, you're there, you're, you're ready to be for the wedding, you know, all the preparation is over. I remember this moment vividly in my life. Uh, Ridgefield Church of the Nazarene down there where, where Jody had grown up. And I remember they had this long kind of aisle there and, and standing up there and waiting. And finally, you know, the bridesmaids come up and, you know, all of that piece of it. And you're going, yeah, 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 okay. Get through the, and, and finally the music starts. And around the corner comes Jody and her dad. And I cried. <laughs> I knew Jody pretty well. We'd dated a long time. I'd seen her in all kinds of outfits. But in that moment, when my bride was there, I cried because I saw the gift that God was giving to me in that moment. And, and Paul is saying, you need to get a hold of that image. Do you remember what it was like in that moment? Get a hold of that image and hold that into your marriage that this is the, the gift from, from God to you. I know some people who call their, their spouses their bride. There's, some, there's something really nice about that. It's a reminder of, of this, this moment in, in time where, where the love overflows, and I think that's where the cherish part of it, it comes in. And then, verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Love their wives as their own bodies. So now he's beginning to, and you'll see it as we go through, he's beginning to reflect on the passage we looked at in Genesis last week, right? Their own bodies. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, right? Because she, she came from here. This idea of a family together, that we love them in that way. We love them as we love ourselves. He who loves his wife loves himself. Next verse. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. And especially in the first century, where the man was absolutely the provider of all sorts of things, he's, he's referencing that. He's referencing the responsibility. Take care of your family. Guys, take care of your family. Man, and that doesn't mean you have to be the number one in all of that. The modern marriage, you know, and our wives are, you know, equal in everything, okay? But I'm just saying, the Scripture says to guys, pay attention in, in all of this, that you care for your family, you provide for them. In fact, there's another place in Scripture where it says, if you don't care for the needs of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, an infidel. So there's a heavy... Are you uncomfortable yet, guys? Yeah, you ever wonder why I say no man should ever quote Ephesians 5 to his spouse? You know, this is why, okay? So, because it's heavy for us. Uh, verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's right out of Genesis. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his church. So this reference back to what we talked about last week with this idea uh, of the two have become one, of this gift that God has given uh, to, uh, to Adam in, in this moment, okay? Um, for them. Uh, so uh, the Genesis language is, is bringing us back to this idea of marriage is intended to be what God intended it to be from the beginning. You understand that? That's where we're going. That's what our marriage is patterned after. And I, I say that just because um, there are some ideas out there about marriage and submission and all of that 
that kind of want to look at the model of marriage after the fall. And that's ne- we don't do that in anything else, right? So theft and murder, that all happened after the fall. We don't go, well, it's okay to have theft and murder because, you know, that's part of what happens. But we sometimes do that with marriage. It's okay to, to make these two not equal in all of this. And we talked about how strong the language is in Genesis uh, about that, that piece of it. Um, so, however, each of us also, uh, each of you, one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, okay? So, again, you got to love guys, and she's got to respect. So, let me say it this way. Paul clearly lays the responsibility for a great marriage on men. <laughs> on men. Okay, on men. Okay? Because I get that you get this all intellectually, but I'm going to be really frank here. For the most part, in most of our marriages, probably not yours, but certainly in mine, the women do the bulk of the care for the relationship. You are so lucky your wife didn't say amen right there. (laughs) And so I know that we're in that, hey, we're all equal and everything's all of that, but I just want to come back to this kind of, this is an old-fashioned, hard message. But guys, we've got to step it up. We have got to give more care to, to the quality of our marriage and to the quality of our relationships with our children. It is so easy for us to get caught up in our careers. And I am preaching to myself. I've told you before, workaholism is one of my issues. In fact, I'm just going to be really frank with you. This issue came up in my marriage this last week. Okay, so I'm dealing with fresh here. And I've been married for a while, but we have got to figure out how do we take care of our wives. Okay, guys, you can ser- this will help your marriage if you say amen. Okay, so let me try this again. We've got to figure out how we can take care of our wives. Yes, and our, and our families in, in all that we do. Um, and, and so here's, we live in a time where there's lots of talk about godly masculinity, you know. Uh, and some of that is like, not real godly and kind of sick. Um, but here's what I think godly masculinity looks like, at least in one sense, that men are great lovers of their wives and families. Ladies, how many of you would like to have a husband that's a great lover of you and your family? <laughs> Hands are going up. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. That, that's, that's where we want to go. That's what we want to be. That's what this is talking about for Paul. And, and granted, they lived in a time again when women were really oppressed and he's trying to lift them up and he's telling the men you've got to help lift the, the women up. But that issue is not entirely over in today's modern marriages. marriage. In fact, I think this is so powerful. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And ladies... Here's where I'm going to put you back on the hook. You know, I understand that it says you need to respect him, but, but Scripture also says you need to love one another, and that includes your husband. Amen? But they, they tend to get that a little, little quicker than we do. And here's what I know uh, about this, uh, that, that your love for each other is the foundation of the family. Okay? And love is vastly more resilient than feelings. Amen? You know that. It's choosing to, every day, to, to love one another. Choosing to love when you're pretty sure you don't even like them. Amen? You're all, you're all a little nervous about saying that. But that's the truth, man. There are times it's, marriage is hard. Did I not say that earlier? Okay. But it's good. It's really good. In fact, here's the way I think about it a little bit. Uh, the single greatest thing you can do for your family is to love your spouse. 
That's an old, old saying, but I believe with all my heart that's true. That you love your spouse, that's the thing that kind of makes the rest of it, of it work because then it's easier to let love flow into the rest of the family. And then marriage is the opportunity to love one other person like Jesus loved you. And we, we talk a lot about love, everybody, and, and all of that, but it is very hard to really love somebody as Jesus loved you. I'm not sure you can do it to more than just a few people, your spouse and your kids and maybe a few others, but you've got to get it right on the spouse to love one other person like Jesus loved you, sacrificially laying down your life. And we've talked about that. That doesn't just mean your biological life. That means all the other things that go into living and being married together. Um, I, I grew up in the church, and so as a, a kid in children's church, I had to memorize lots of Scripture. And I think I have decided that the number one time the Holy Spirit throws Scripture at me is when my wife is asking me to do something, right? You know, and it, it comes back to this kind of stuff, you know, it's like submit to her, serve her, say, lay down your life for her. And I, I'll tell you, my high-minded ideas about theology, I never realized that doing the dishes could be a way of laying down my life, you know. But it is. My wife's number one love language is acts of service. So let me tell you something, guys. And I, um, I don't know how many kids we got in here, but um, sometimes the sexiest thing you can do is a chore. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Hey, jumped on that. What did I tell you guys? So I'm, I'm just telling you, there's some ways you can do this. You don't have to go and jump off a bridge and rescue her from a rushing river, you know? There's some ways we can do this. And, and we're focusing on getting a men's ministry started. Guys, I hope you'll be a part of that. The first Saturday of the month, we're going to have a breakfast, and there's lots of things going on with all of that. But I, I just want to challenge us. What if, what if we could be the church with the most godly men that love their wives better than any other church. I'm telling you, if nothing else, would fill the pews with women, okay? Because it's like, I'd be dragging their husbands. You've got to come to this, this church here. What, what a good thing that would be if we could be the most loving. We've talked about being the most loving uh, church uh, in our community. And then love is not a feeling. It's a way of relating. Love is not a feeling, it's a way of relating. Sometimes we say love is, is not a feeling, it's a, it's a choice. That's, that's uh, pretty much uh, the same idea. Um, it, it's all about making a choice. And you've heard me say this one if you've been around here a long time, but marriage is about giving, not getting. So the idea is if in modern marriage, I get married so that I can have somebody that will love me, which automatically sets me up into a position where I'm trying to pull something out of my partner, right? i got to pull the love. Well, they aren't loving me enough. I don't feel loved. They're not giving me what, what I need. And they're on the other side, well, going, they're not loving me enough, and they're not giving me what I need, and they're not, you know, and pretty soon you're pulling against each other. Whereas, in fact, the idea, I think, with Christian marriage is just the opposite. And I say this to couples when they come in for premarital counseling. You are not ready to get married until it's about giving that other person what they need about love in them. So that if I am, am focusing on giving my spouse whatever she needs, I'm focusing on making sure she feels loved, I'm focusing on, on giving her what she needs to be happy, I'm focused on taking care of her, and I'm pushing in, and, and on the other side, she's doing the same for me, she's giving me what I need, and she's listening to me, and she's all of those sorts of things, and all of a sudden you're pushing together, it works way better. And guys, listen to me for a minute, because I've tried it the other way. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
speaking from personal experience, it's so important that you understand that marriage is about giving, not getting. Say, marriage is about giving, not getting. All right, and then feelings follow actions. I know this has been one of those sermons that, that sounds like, well, marriage just sounds like it's a chore kind of a thing. But I'm telling you, when you get this right, there's some wonderful things that happen in our personal relationship. And if our musicians could come. Uh, there's some great things that, that happen when you begin to do that. The feelings follow the actions. When you take actions that love each other, the feelings will follow. Great advice I received one time from a counselor that said, get up every morning and do what you would do if you loved her. And you know what happens? Pretty soon you go, oh, this is pretty good. I like this sort of thing. Feelings follow actions in all that we do. And then the question I always ask, what is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today? What does the message of Ephesians mean for your marriage or your dating relationship? You need to make some changes. Maybe you need to go back and have a conversation with your spouse. Maybe you need to, you know, do the dishes. I don't know what that means. But I know we all can do better. Amen? And this is the foundation for family, for all that God would have for us. We're going to um, close in just a moment with, uh, with worship time, with some music and, and with some prayer. And we're going to uh, continue kind of our tradition of, of opening up the time. If you'd like to come down and kneel at pray, either at a pew or on the thing, the pews are way more comfortable than here. Uh, and I'm going to be down here, and uh, one of our uh, local elders, uh, Liz, is going to be down here, so there's a woman and a guy. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we would be happy to do that, whether it's about your marriage or, or anything else, or if you would just like to get to know God, uh, or you want us to pray for any other reason, we would be happy to do that. But I want to encourage you to listen right now for what is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today. Father God, I pray that you would open our hearts because this really, really matters, Lord. It breaks my heart when I see couples that are together, but they're miserable. And so I pray, Father, that you would elevate the level of marriages in our church. Father, make, a, make the men great lovers of their wives and their children. And make the women great lovers of their husbands and their children, Father. May you rule supreme in our marriages as well as everything we do. And we'll give you all the praise and glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church family. Thank you for watching this video. It is amazing that you consider this your church home. If you do consider this your church home, we would ask that you would share this video with a friend. If God has been speaking to you, we would hope that you would share this message. As always, like and subscribe so that you don't miss a single video and tune in each Sunday at 10 a.m. on our live stream or you can join us in person. We'll see you next week. God bless.